You can be seated. While I'm getting set up, I'd ask you to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16 as we get ready for uh, the text and unpacking of this this morning. I uh, came back here and I don't know if you saw me quickly grab my computer and make a couple of notes um, as Perry was leading worship. Um, just about a couple of songs that and, and the thoughts that they were ministering to me in light of what we're going to be talking about today. And uh, the first one was, as I was thinking about um, a mighty fortress and Luther's emphasis as he wrote that, one of the things that Luther was continually doing during his period of the Reformation, he was focusing on the church. Um, part of the Reformation, if you remember church history, is that he wanted to reform the Catholic Church. He didn't want to necessarily leave it. He would have actually been really frustrated uh, with his followers that, that established the, the Lutheran denomination because he had, and, and Luther himself, recognized that the Lord has a great love for the church. So we were, we were singing about uh, the, the concept of the church in that sense that the, that the mighty fortress is, is, is the Lord, but what he does is he redeems us as a body of believers. And then we sang um, in the, the song, uh, I can't remember the title of it now, the second one, we were, we were singing about us being drawn into the fold of God, okay? Yes, salvation occurs to us individually, but we shared over this identity series that it always happens in relationship with the church, that God didn't just save us and leave us isolated. So you, you might notice, maybe we can get the identity logo up, Olivia. Um, the, the identity logo, we were really intentional, even though we didn't create the graphic, we thought that this was um, a, a great picture of what happens because, I'm, I'm waiting, there we go, anticipation, right? Um, what, what happens is if you see that the shape of that person, that silhouette, is about the individuals coming in, okay? If, if it wasn't for that, the church would not really be who we are. That we are saved, yes, individually by the work of Christ, but we're saved to be part of His bride, the church. And then Perry sang that song, Living Stones. Jeff, did you about come out of your seat? Jeff and Debbie? Because I know y'all are... You know, you know who wrote it, right, Jeff? Michael Card. Yeah. That must have been, because y'all are like, Michael Card, Michael Card. I love that about y'all. Way to go, Gina. I'm just surprised you knew. Okay, I mean, I mean I, good. Oh, it did say it afterwards. Yeah. Okay, everybody should have known, because we're paying attention to the, the copyright laws now. Way to go, Gina. Way to read it on the bottom of the screen and be prepped. Yeah. Stole all the thunder of that. Um, no, so, so in all seriousness, th this is the, the beauty of us being living stones as, as members of the body of Christ is so essential. And, and, and all the students in here, y'all tune into me for just a moment. I'm looking around at all my youth, okay? I'm, I'm trying to, I, you're scattered throughout. That's fine. Um, I, I actually like it that you're with your parents more than like the youth group section. I think sometimes youth group sections can be dangerous, even though there's help to social stuff. That's why we do Wednesday nights. So we have social stuff. Here you learn from your parents and with your parents. So all my students, what did I say a couple weeks ago about the reason we're emphasizing membership in the church life? Does anybody remember? It's okay. It's a good reminder, good review. Here's why. Christ gave himself for the church, his bride. Yes, us individually, but, but folks, let me say this. We cannot exist in a healthy manner as believers, as followers of Christ, apart from his church. And let me say this. This is not a very popular thing in these uh, American days that we live in because we are so individually minded as Americans. We have privileges. We have rights. It's about us as individuals. We have to be part of the church. And it's about the local church, not just the universal church. Because let me say something about the universal church. And this is very prophetic, it's very simple, but it's also very profound. The universal church exists broadly across the globe right this instant. But it also exists broadly across all of time. Therefore, our membership into the universal church cannot represent all that it ought to represent. 
Because yes, Luther, yes, Calvin, yes, Zwingli, yes, whoever else we want to list in all of church history. The Spurgeon that's gone before us, John Owen, Jonathan Edwards, do you want me to keep going? All those people, I am not part of their body life. Do I get the benefits of reading them? Absolutely. But they don't serve me with their gifts currently. I can't certainly minister to them. The universal church is not the beauty of the expression. It's the local church. It's the local church. And if we exclude ourselves from membership, thinking, well, we can just do the universal church thing, we won't be as healthy as we can be, both individually and then corporately. Because God is longing for us believers to join local churches to express ourselves in the body life. So when we sing about Jesus being the mighty fortress, and us being the recipients of that great work of grace, and that we as individuals have been saved by Jesus Christ because of his death, burial, and resurrection, and us trusting in that work, not our own, for salvation. We don't just exist individually in faith. We exist to be part of the church folded into his flock where he shepherds us. And it is a beautiful thing. Now, I know I'm predominantly preaching to the choir this morning. I don't know about Facebook because I can't see who you are. wish somebody didn't invent a Facebook mirror. Right? I guess that's what all the check-ins and stuff are for, but you can't do that here in my setting. I'd be so distracted, I'd never get anything accomplished. Um, so all of that to say, I want to share a little, and I, I have been sharing a little journey. So I mean, that was all free stuff that just happened in spontaneously this morning. So here's, here's where I started my own introductory notes this morning. You guys know I'm in I'm PhD work, and I've t- just completed a um, seminar on ecclesiology. It means the study of the church. And I uh, was just waiting on my grades for that. Hopefully, I'll be fine. Um, but one of the things that I, I realized going through this is in my MDiv work, which I finished back uh, between 93 and 96, I did not have a specific class on ecclesiology. And, and I, I look back at that, especially after attending this seminar, think, and I thought to myself, that, that is such a shame. Um, it's not that I didn't study the church. It's not that I, I didn't know things about the church. It just was not specific. I took some other specific classes uh, on theology and specifically the doctrine of sin and the doctrine of salvation. Those were two specific classes that, that radically transformed my life in, in understanding the word. They're great for me. But my ecclesiology seminar has been great for me personally because I've walked through some scripture that, yeah, I've known, but I dealt with it in such a different way that it's transformed my thinking. And I'm afraid that most of the time, in church. We, we exist in church, but we don't really think through the, the ecclesiology. And so this morning, this is a little bit of the outflow of, the, of that class. In that class, I wanted to share, we, we had a broad scope of things. We, we studied uh, Roman Catholics, uh, we, we studied Greek Orthodox, we studied Presbyterians, we studied others and talked about a variety of denominations and church history background and then how especially that applies to us. How many of you are familiar with Nine Marks from Mark Dever? Okay, raise your hands high. You need to look around and see who's familiar. Okay, there's about five of us in the room. Um, if you don't know who Mark Dever is, a quick intro. He has uh, been a longtime pastor. I, don't, I didn't look in how long, but at um, Capitol Hill Baptist Church in Washington, D.C. He has a lot of great things going on in his ministry there at the church. He's influential in the political scene, in a sense, because he has a lot of people that attend his church uh, that are in political Washington, and he is a great, great pastor, very influential. Well, several years ago, uh, he had been in the church, I think he said about seven or eight years, and realized that his own ecclesiology was weak. And so he started taking things that he'd been reading and re-sifting and reshifting some some of the thoughts, and he created this program called Nine Marks. So Nine Marks takes literally nine marks that they have determined are to be the healthy, are the marks for a healthy church. And so they teach and express their their ideas, biblical ideas, on those key things. And so there's been a a whole movement of churches that uh, are engaged in what they become called Nine Marks churches. So you just kind of agree that you're going to do these things and become part of this, this movement in the sense of not gaining Uh, momentum with each other, but building together uh, these ideas and and committing to these things. Well, one of the the key things, and this was a really cool thing in in our seminar, was Dr. Jonathan Lehman was uh, one of our associate professors. And Dr. Lehman is the uh, editorial director 
four nine marks. So he is chief on their website and, and their podcast and all those things about communicating things. He attended uh, Capitol Hill Baptist, if I remember correctly, and he's now an elder at Cheverly Baptist, which is somewhere in that Washington, D.C. area. Um, he's also, uh, he, he started in, oh, I can't remember what field, it was not a uh, a sacred study field of, of uh, study when he did his undergraduate work, but the Lord called him into ministry, and then he's gone and, and pursued his PhD, and specifically he writes now on ecclesiology. He's got several books, several articles that are just really, really excellent. And so having Dr. Lehman in class uh, for seminar and reading several of his books really helped to shape some things in my own thinking. So I want to give you this, this specific idea that Dr. Lehman said in, in one of the books. He gave these four types of uh, church government. And I want us to look at these things. That, and these are four types of government that have existed historically. Do we have that slide ready? Perfect. Okay. So first of all, Episcopalians. Those would be um, Anglicans, Methodists, Roman Catholics. There's a whole a bunch of others, too many to list. But they, they do this. They give a bishop... Okay, this, this one leader, authority over several churches. Do you see especially how that plays out in Roman Catholic theology? That that pope is ultimately the head bishop that has authority over all the churches. Then they have smaller bishoprics that, that would serve in that way. Very similar to Methodist um, as, and Anglicans as well. Uh, the second type he describes is elder rule. These uh, say that, or their advocates say the final authority belongs to the elders of an independent church or congregation. Presbyterians, they give authority to gatherings of elders over several churches. So let me kind of distinguish that because sometimes we can get confused between, I think, elder government and uh, Presbyterian. Presbyterians, they take several elders from churches and they have a presbytery that operates and that would oversee those other churches and the sessions of, other, of those other churches. As well, they also have an annual session kind of meeting where a bunch of people come together that are uh, elders in churches and, and they have uh, overarching government for the, the entire denomination. And then lastly, Dr. Lehman describes a pastor or elder-led congregationalist. They say the Bible gives the final authority to the gathered congregation as led by the pastors or elders. So there's a little bit of a distinction between that and the second one, which is the elder rule, which ultimately says the elders have all of the authority. So I wanted to, to ask a quiz question this morning. Where do we as the Grove Church land? Raise your hand so I can call upon you. Thanks, Gina, I guess. She said, I'm not answering. Not, no, not, not everyone at once. Anybody, anybody other than Gina? Yes, Thomas. Ne number four. Um, well, I would disagree with you. Why would I disagree? Why, let me ask you this. Why would you say number four, first of all? Well, yeah, yeah, and, and I'm, I'm, not gonna, I'm gonna say this. I would say all, so, so let me repeat this for Facebook. Thomas said that the, we said we're elder led, but the Bible gives final authority. Okay, am, am I misstating anything? Okay, so I would say this. All of these are gonna say that the Bible is the final authority. Now, I think the Roman Catholics, I would give one slight little caveat to because they would add tradition and uh, papal authority to that for sure. Um, so, so we're going to exclude Roman Catholics for just a minute. But if we came through the rest of the Protestant denominations, all of them, Thomas, would say the scriptures are final authority. Okay. So any other thoughts? Leanne, go for it, sweetie. Okay. Why do you say the second one? Don't point. Speak. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. Peanut gallery, be quiet. <laughs> I love your boldness, Leanne. Keep going. Okay, because the elders too. Okay, you're getting there. She says the elders are doing things. They have more input. Okay, and she's in our membership class right now on Wednesday night. So she's like tuned in. That's good, Leanne. Somebody else, I saw another hand back here. Whose hand did I see? 
I saw a hand. Don't be shy now. Okay, maybe I didn't see a hand. Are my glasses just playing tricks on me? Okay. Yeah, Greg. Yeah. Good. So Greg says that elders deal with a vast majority of things. There's very little thing or very few things that would come back to the body. And so I'm going to give you my answer to this, okay? Um, and, and this is something that the elders have been discussing for months, honestly. Um, and and we're, we're getting our heads wrapped around some of these things. And I want to share, I think, where the scriptures lead us to. I think we're a little bit of a hybrid, okay? I don't think that we actually fall in any one form of these four. If we're closest, I would say that we're closest to number two, that we are an independent church because we're Southern Baptist, even though we're in association with other Southern Baptist churches. I do think that we have documentation in our constitution, covenant, and our bylaws that say that we are elder governed. There, are a, there is a caveat where we say that we vote on a few things as a body, because anybody remember what those three things are? Any matter over $5,000, Katie? Hiring and firing of a senior pastor or st staff. And then, nope, a property would be one because it falls in that uh, over 5,000. Um, the, the third is anything else that the elders determine we should vote on as a body. So there's, there's a sense that the, the government is elder governed. And then there's a sense where we have these few little congregational areas. So we really avoid a lot of congregational rule in life. And I think if I'm going to posit something this morning, I think we need some change. I think biblically, when we look at the scriptures and, and look at especially the two texts that we're going to be predominantly looking at this morning, that, that we're, we're missing this a little bit. And I, I hope to, to set this out in the right way this morning where you recognize, okay, if we've missed it, it's not the end of the world. It actually means that we're trying to get healthier because we're recognizing these things and we want to make sure that we do this biblically because if we get it biblically right, guess what? We have a better chance of being healthier, right? And that's where we all want to be, me, you, all of us, because Christ is the head of the church and we want to reflect his priorities and his teaching as best as we can. So let's, let, me, let me give you a little bit of uh, short history before we jump into the text. Now, and, and I'm going to give you kind of a, a, a little bit of a snapshot into Matt's mind. I know it's scary. Thank you for admitting it very quickly, Eric Dukes. It's, it's more than scary, okay? You ought to just leave now. No, I'm teasing. All, all people on Facebook went, shift, shift channels. Um, no, in, in all seriousness, here's one of the things that, that we know has been happening this year. We've had three elders resign from our church. And I want to say this very clearly, okay? I appreciate all three of these men. There's, there's been a little bit of questioning, and I knew it would happen. I mean, I, I've been in church long enough to watch these kind of things happen, and people will go, oh, you know, something's amiss. Folks, these guys have, have sent you their words about their resignations. All three of them resigned and have stayed at the church. Now, Ron and Lisa have, in the meantime, they've left for some other reasons, and that's fine. But I would trust that these men have the integrity and honesty to pin exactly what was going on. So Jeff Randolph and Debbie, I'm going to include you in this too. Thank y'all. Thank y'all so much for so many things personally to me, but also for this church. Because I, I've looked back, and, and Jeff, I think you were an elder for 19 years. I, I mean, students, you think about that. That's longer than a, most of you have lived. That he served this church faithfully in teaching and shepherding and through hard things. Thank you so much. And, and I'm going to say this, some hard things for his personal health. That's about the only time Jeff ever took a break is when he had some kind of personal health issue going on because he has diabetes and he has some severe things that, with his diabetes. Jeff, you've been faithful. Debbie, you've been faithful to him as an elder's wife in this church. Thank y'all. 
Ron Estes, Ron and Lisa, Ron served for four, almost 14 years without any kind of break other than his busiest season when he did his tax stuff in his company. So he leaves the busy work of elder ministry to go to the busy work of business and, go, and goes nonstop for 14 years. And, and, and let me add this little caveat because I don't think this came out in his letter but when he resigned as an elder, one of the things that had happened, if you remember the history of Nashville back in February and the first of COVID quarantine stuff, we had a tornado in Nashville. His company was hit physically by the tornado. Ron was running hard, and I think he's been through empty nest now, that in his job. Seasonally, he was tired. He was very tired. He was ready and called, I think, in another sense, to move on from being an elder. Recently, Dan has resigned. Dan Markham uh, and Joy, his wife, served faithfully in, in that capacity for over eight years without any kind of break. Now, I'm, not, I'm getting down to some bare-bone things here in our, our documents, okay? We don't have any kind of system for rotation in our elder or deacon life. So, so Greg, you're a deacon for eternity. Congratulations. Just making sure there's no transitions, okay? <laughs> no, no, man, that's what, the, that's what the documents say, okay? So, no, I'm, I, and honestly, I'm kidding. But I do think this. I think that we need to talk about some things in our church documents that, that address sabbaticals and right breaks for people. Here's part of the irony. Those guys didn't get any sabbaticals. I, as a pastor, elder, I do get some sabbatical time, okay? And, and I've... I didn't take that early on in my ministry years here, but I've certainly, certainly taken it the last few, okay? And all of that says this to me, okay? We've had a great group of elders who have been working hard, but it also says to me, now, now jump into Matt's messy imagination mind here. What if, for some reason, Steve and I, and, and rightly according to God's will, Dan, I didn't see you there. I don't know how, how are you hiding? Stand up. Sit up tall, man. You just like blended in. I, I mean, I was looking, I thought I saw you, and I was like, where'd he go? You don't sit there, you usually sit somewhere else. So, Dan, thank you for your service personally, okay? Back to Matt's messy mind. See how he is crazy. So what if something, and, and, and rightly happened under God's providence with Steve and myself, and we didn't have any elders at our church? Okay, and I don't think the Lord's going to do that. I don't think that's his in plan for us. I think we have, for the last three or four years, we also in eldership have been looking at how we do mentoring. Right now, that's part of what Steve announced this morning, is we are mentoring men on the importance of elder and deacon ministry because we know that we, are, we needed that. We started that before all of these things kind of happened. We had those plans in place because we know we need to continue to grow uh, leadership. And that's not just leadership in those areas, folks. It's in, in many others, okay? But, but what would happen? If we didn't have elders at church, would that mean we're not a church? Would that mean that we're unhealthy? Would it mean that we need to close the doors? No, absolutely not. I don't think it means we're unhealthy. I'm, I think it would mean we have a pause in how we're pursuing health, okay? And I'm going to give you a little hint. I'll, I may mention this again later, but... Do you remember in Titus 1.5, just write that down if you're taking notes, in Titus 1.5, one of the things that Paul instructs his young uh, protege Titus in, he says, Titus, go to Crete and, and make sure to appoint elders in the churches. <gasps> Here's my point. The churches existed, but they didn't have elders. They were functioning. They were, they were ministering. But there was something about the need for eldership in the churches for them to function as best as they could. Am I making sense so far? So I don't want to like scare anybody. I don't want to put anybody on pause. I, I, I don't want you to go, oh goodness, what's happened at the Grove? Things are good here at the Grove. I think things are getting as good and better than they ever have been. Because God is still God. This is His church. He loves this church. He loves this flock. Despite what's happening in changes are shifting because it's not negative. There's not sin in the camp, folks. So we're moving forward in some healthy ways. And we need to do that rightly. And I think part of that is for us to understand 
this screen, not this one, the, the, the previous one with the logo, our identity in Christ and who we are as a church. So, so let me get down to some things. I want us to, to move out of what I would say is a hybrid form of church government. Now, this is me sharing very transparently. We are going to be meeting today, Steve and I, and we'll be sharing these thoughts with, with Greg per our bylaws and constitution at some point. We'll be talking about what this means for us practically as a church. But we're going to be talking about these very things and some things that need to change. But I want to present this to you to, because I think if we don't do this rightly and then we come together at some point with a proposed change, you guys are going to go, what's, what's up? So this is some of the most important teaching in, in, in our church life. So let's look at Matthew chapter 16. And you'll be very familiar with this, pa this passage, but I think there are some things that I, I will hopefully show you that I've learned that I think are essential to us as a church. Chapter 16, verse 13, and we'll read through 20. Uh, now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to, the him, to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. So there are two specific things that I, I want us to recognize from this verse. And I, I want to throw up this next slide, Olivia. The first is this. Peter made a confession in that, that uh, account that happened right there that we just read. And what is that confession? That confession is the what we believe. It is the truth of our faith. And we would say why we are not Roman Catholic today is because the, the confession is not just about Peter himself, right? It's about the truth of the doctrine that Jesus is the Christ, we as true believers that are gathered here today, and I'm, I'm not assuming that everyone in here is a follower of Christ. If you're not, please listen to me. I, I, I trust that, that the Holy Spirit will stir something up in you, whether you're in this room or whether you're on Facebook. And I trust that, that the Holy Spirit would do a work in you and, and cause you to desire salvation, to have your sin dealt with, so that you could be part of the bride of Christ, this beautiful entity that, that, that is so precious to him, that Christ gave his life for, that he is still walking as the head of. And we would love to give you counsel about that. Th this is the, uh, not a day, though, that we're going to spend time focusing on that specifically. So if you're on Facebook, reach out to us on our website, thegrow431.com. There's a prayer request link. Just go fill that out. Send that to us, and we will get in contact with you. If you're here and you want to know more, please find myself or someone else that you've, you've watched today and go, I think I could ask them about that. We will take the time to set up uh, a counseling session with you about what salvation consists of. Now, because I'm speaking directly to you as followers of Christ, our confession is this, that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the one who gave his life. And that confession is absolute for us. Does that make sense? So upon this rock, this confession is what Christ is going to build the church. So that's the first point. Second, there is also this note that Jesus is addressing the who of the gospel. Because there's no denying that the singular um, here in, in verse uh, 15, I'm sorry, verse 18, where Jesus says, and I tell you, you are Peter. That's singular. Now, now, that doesn't mean that we have to default to the Catholic view that Peter is the, the head of the church now, that he's the first pope. None of that stuff really applies. But what Jesus is emphasizing, and I'm going to prove that in just a minute, what Jesus is emphasizing is that the you is the who, that there are those who are confessors of the confession. Does that make sense? You, in other words, you can't have a confession without a confessor. Matt, what do you believe? I don't say a word. What did I confess? Nothing. But, but Matt, what do you believe? 
I believe that Jesus Christ is the only way of salvation. What have I just said? You know who I am, most likely, and you know my confession of faith. That's what we do as we gather as a church. We're, we're the who and the what of Christ's ministry. Does that make sense? Is everybody with me? This means yes in Tennessee. This means no. This means we're not sure. Add some clarity. Okay? We, we together on this. Okay, good. So, now, here's where it gets really, really interesting. And this is where my mind was really stretched in my seminar. Look at Matthew uh, 16, 19. Jesus further goes on. Okay? He doesn't just describe the confession. He gives Peter and the disciples, because if you notice in verse 20, he said, then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one. He, they were all getting this too, okay? And here's what he says to them. Verse 19, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Whew. Time out. We have occasional need for somebody to keep our dogs when we go out of town and we don't want to drag them with us to hotels or some other place. When we do that, we give whoever is house-sitting for us, dog-sitting, the keys to our home. What are we essentially asking them and giving them in that moment? What are we giving them? Trust, good. Say it. Access. What was the second part? Authority. Good, Greg Maddox. There's a reason you were an elder one time and a deacon. Smart man. Yeah, trust. I would not give someone access and authority if I didn't trust them. Here's what Jesus is saying. You, with the keys to the kingdom of heaven, have my authority to bind and loose. There is a responsibility that comes with authority. Or there's authority that comes with responsibility. Either way. And that authority is powerful. It's, it's the responsibility, at least here in Matthew 16, of the disciples to impact ministry, to bind and loose. Now, there's some that believe that binding and loosing are the keys of the kingdom are simply the issue of church discipline. Why would they hold that? We'll turn over to Matthew 18. Just a couple pages. We're going to be in Matthew 18, starting in verse 15. We ready? Here we go. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him to be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Verse 18, truly, truly, or truly I say to you, Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Interesting. The only two places in all of the Gospels where those terms, binding and loosing, are employed here in Matthew 16 and Matthew 18. In the Matthew 16 passage, it's clearly identified by the disciples or given them. But here, who is the authority given to? Help me. Who? The church. More specifically, the members of the church. It's not even really the church as a whole. Follow me? Because who gets the authority to start with? The one brother who finds or feels or senses or assumes that they've been sinned against by another. So let's say my friend Mitch has sinned against me. As a member in the church, not even as an elder, what is my responsibility as Mitch and I are brothers in Christ in the church? I take the keys of the kingdom the, the power to lock or unlock, bind or loose, and I take those to Mitch and I say, Mitch, you've sinned against me. Mitch doesn't respond positively. He goes, no way. I say, Mitch, I think this is still the case. I'm going to go get my friend Perry. Perry and I are going to go to Mitch and we're going to say, we're applying the keys of the kingdom. Mitch, you've sinned. 
We want to, to restore you to fellowship rightly. That doesn't work. What do we do? We then take it to the church. Is that right? I'm going to make sure I'm getting it right. Yes. Take two or three, because I could take another one. So it could be Perry. It could be Perry and Katie, his wife. And we go, if that doesn't work, then we do that as a whole church. But as members, we have the right and the authority to exercise these keys as a church body. Now, here's the key. Not, not the key of kingdom, but here's the point. Okay, When we are members together making these confessions as confessors, we operate in the local church context to do that. So let me, let me make it really clear for a moment. Because it's a church body and a local expression of that, it's not about me going to a, a, a brother in another church necessarily. It happens first and foremost in the local church. And here's why I believe that. Because we go back to the local church principles, who is the leadership in the church that should help provide the counsel for all of that as it happens? Paul told us that, as he told Timothy, um, Titus that, that elders ought to be established in the church. So elders ought to be helping to guide and lead in this entire process as they are called by God to teach and instruct and shepherd and give counsel. Am I making sense so far? So, so here's my point, and I'm going to get really down to a brass tacks thing for just a moment. You know who's responsible for church discipline in our church, according to our Constitution and bylaws? Y'all ought to know, if you're members here, you ought to know. It's the elders. Elders are responsible for membership. Elders are responsible for discipline. Folks, that's not what Matthew 18 says. So, so here's a, a term that I think Dr. Lehman uses that, that I think is applicable for us. Elders command in our church instead of counseling in our church. It's not good. Because here's what happens. If you are rightly holding as members the keys of the kingdom and implementing your responsibility and authority well with one another. Who provides the right accountability for walking their, their faith out? You do together. It's not the lording elder body. And I'm not saying we try to lord it, because I think we've tried to do de deflect that. But, but it means that uh, you operate rightly together. And, and let me add a little caveat to this. Elders are no more special in authority or responsibility than y'all. We are equal in membership. And I think we've tried to communicate that rightly in, in a lot of ways because in the elder body, we said we're equal in authority. There's no one that has more authority than the other. There's no one that has more privilege or rights. Okay? But, but I have no more responsibility in body life than you do. Now, my role asks me to do some different things because I'm supposed to teach and supposed to lead by example. I, I'm called to certain things to fulfill my role in the body, but there's no more authority. But I don't think that's where we line up uh, in our, our um, actual paradigm and our church polity. Let me remind you of this. We have taught over the last several weeks that you are a royal priest if you're a believer. As a royal priest, what is your responsibility? What's the, what was the responsibility of the priests in the Old Testament? We've, we've gone over it, right? What are they? What, what's the responsibility of a royal priest? There, there you go, right to, uh, to, to uh, Perry's uh, scripture that he read this morning out of Romans 12. So, so that you do that yourself, right? What else did a priest do? They ministered, they mediated on behalf of the others, didn't they? And there wasn't just one priest. Now, there was a high priest, but there were many priests, and they ministered to the body. We have been called to that position. We're here to minister to the body. Kenny McGee, thank you for your testimony this morning. First of all, I want to say publicly how grieved I am for Kim and her family, for you, because I know that Scott was one of your best friends. But, but your testimony, especially today, of how 
church members minister to you guys. That's the body being the body. It's the royal priest doing what they should do as royal priests. Last week, Steve talked about the importance of us, what? Perry referenced it again this morning, individually being what? Members of one another. So, so let me read a statement. Dr. Lehman wrote this. A, a church that gives all authority to its leaders hurts its own culture of discipling. Forsaking their own authority, the members become less responsible. They inch towards passivity and complacency and eventually worldliness. They leave the church less protected. So let me give you another practical proof of that. I know that one of my responsibilities, Steve's responsibilities, Jeff and and Dan and and Ron and I talked about this at length on, on several occasions, As elders, we are responsible to guard the flock and guard the doctrine, especially, okay? And and I want to harp on guarding the doctrine for just a minute. Let's say I stood up here, sat up here, uh, because I don't typically stand, but let's say I was up here on a Sunday morning, and I started teaching something that's in error biblically. Whose responsibility is it to stop that from going on? It's the church members. It's not just the elders, Is it the elders? Yes, it is. But why is it the elders? Because they're members in the body as well. And and, and so so I want you to think through that for just a second. If you don't have the responsibility and authority, because that's all been pushed into the camp of the elders, you can't do that rightly. And that's where I think what Dr. Lehman has assessed is, is accurate. That it it can be a forsaking of your own authority. It can be the members becoming less responsible. It can be an inch towards passivity and complacency and eventually worldliness. And lastly, it could leave the church less protected. That's, That's our responsibility together. That is not just the elders. And I'm afraid that by our hybrid nature, we've missed a little bit of that. Okay? Let me read another statement by Dr. Lehman. He says, a pastor, presbytery, or bishop, so not in a similar fashion, okay, this hierarchy is what he's referring to, that prevents the gathered church members from doing their priestly work of guarding the what and the who of the gospel, both usurps the keys and fires the members from the work that God in Christ has commissioned them to do. Now, I'm going to speak to my high school daughter for just a minute, Juliana, write this word down. She's doing vocabulary stuff in English, so I thought I'd add to her list today. The rest of you, all all you high school, middle school students do this too, because I get to be your pastor on Wednesday nights. So write, girls. Write. You're going to remember this? I'm I'm quizzing you Wednesday night, and don't dodge Wednesday night, because I told you there's going to be quiz, Okay. It is this, if the bishops prevent the gathered members from doing their priestly work, they undermine and innervate. That's an an unusual word for me. They innervate their members. What that means is they weaken, devitalize, or take the life out of. So so Dr. Lehman used that word, innervate. But, But if we as elders don't commission you rightly to your priestly work, we take the life out of you. We innervate you. That is not, you want to spell it, E-N-E-R-V-A-T-E, sorry. I'm not used to teaching all the time, Jennifer. Help me out. Innervate, E-N-E-R-V-A-T-E. I hope all of you Facebook Live people went out there and Googled it really quickly. That, that would be great. So feedback, some comments, maybe find a better definition. Innervate. We don't want to take the life out of who you are. We don't want to decommission you. We, we don't want membership fired in this church. But, but you, you see all of a sudden, as I'm studying these things and I'm putting two and two together about who we are and who we really ought to be in Christ, according to Matthew 16, especially according to Matthew 18, that I go, we're missing this. We're, we're not connecting the dots right. And, and I don't want to spend a minute more in one sense on this pattern of wrong polity. 
Because ultimately, it's going to lead to an unrest on your part or an unhealthiness on our part that will undermine what God really wants to do with us. So let me give you one more freebie in here, okay? And then I want to ask Steve to make a comment. One of the unique things about these two passages in Matthew 16 and Matthew 18 is this fact. It's the only two places in all of the Gospels that the word church, ecclesia, is used, or ecclesia, however you want to pronounce it, okay? It's only two places that that term is used. So what Jesus is doing, he's pointing to the vital union and this new uh, Uh, community that he is establishing. He's giving the disciples the hint of what's to come, and he's telling them how it ought to have the authority to exercise those privileges. So, So he's pointing to the strategy that we as a church ought to operate in in a healthy way. You see the incredible importance of what Jesus is getting at, and why we don't want to innervate or fire or decommission you in who God has called you and me too as members of this body to be. And we need to get this right. So Steve, I, I hope I, I set you up well enough to come back and follow up on what we talked about. Yeah, you didn't. That's okay. No, um, and you know how Matt said earlier, you want to delve into his mind and that was a scary place. Going into my mind is probably scarier. It really is. Um, I wanted to come up and clear something up for everybody um, with the message that I was that I was bringing to you last week. But it actually makes a connection to everything that we're talking about. So remember I was talking about the 80-20, where we have 20% of the people doing 80% of the work. And then I, then I mentioned Matt in this context. And I clarified that we had some conversations about all this. And real quick, Matt, if you could drill down and say, what are the two or three things that you are passionate about doing? What would those be? I would, I would say, first and foremost, because of spiritual gifting um, that, that has remained pretty consistent over my uh, Christian life is teaching. Um, that, that's something that the Lord just continues to, to, to like hone in me, why I love to study, those kind of things. The second one, I think, is my gifting, and we've talked about this. You, you think it's one thing, but I continue to go back. I think it's shepherding. Um, and, and part of shepherding is engaging with the flock. And, and one of my biggest frustrations, um, and this stems from early days of me trying to figure out Christianity, sorry, and living with my grandparents um, in, in community where I remember learning lessons from them. And one of those is how important it is for, for them to, to find people investing in visitation. Uh, I don't get to visit. I, I don't get to be out because the, the busyness of, of things overtakes and it drives me crazy. I feel like I, I'm gifted to get along with people broadly. Um, and, and that means a variety of people in a variety of situations. Um, and, and I don't get to shepherd like I would. The, the, that, that's one. And then I would say beyond that is the extra teaching that goes. Um, you notice there's times I, I write like long, long emails like I did this week to try to, to, to tenor some things or to follow up with things. I don't get to do that consistently enough. So I know that goes back to teaching, but I think that comes out of some of those relational components as well. So, so in hearing that, you heard his heart, right? So my, my comment when I was talking about where Matt is in, in that journey, you heard his heart. So what I didn't want you to take away um, in, in kind of evaluating, listening to how I was bringing that part of the message, I had a pause and in my mind I finished my thought but moved on. And I don't want you to get the impression that I felt that Matt teaches with mediocrity. Okay, when I said the enemy of the good or the enemy of the great is always the good, but it, 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 it presses into this. I would rather Matt excel at two or things, two or three things that he's passionate about because we have 80 people covering all of those other things that he may have to be doing 
that he shouldn't be doing because it's taking away from what he excels at. But that's for every single one of us. This is more of a commentary of all of us. I would rather see 80 people doing two or three things well individually with excellence than two or three people doing eight or nine things with mediocrity. And it's not because they're mediocre. It's that they can't give their best, their excellence, because they're spread so thin. And so I just want to encourage you by saying that, that, that my clarity to this, especially with my brother Matt, is Matt leads with excellence. But if Matt, like the rest of us, are spread thin doing eight, nine, ten things, we're going to get good, not excellence on a consistent basis. Does that make sense? And I, and, I, and I want to affirm Matt in that because Matt takes teaching serious, teaching very seriously. And I think Matt does that consistently with excellence. But I just want to encourage you that when he was talking about that binding and the loosing being to the church, it's because all of us have that responsibility and that authority. And so all of us should be doing that with excellence. And I just wanted to clear that up for you. For, for Matt and, and for all involved. Thanks. Does, does that? That's great, Steve. Okay. Thank you so, so much. Thank you for letting me do that. And, and, and Olivia, I want you to put this last slide because I think this will transition us into kind of the final thoughts for this morning. I know we're a little over, but this is like watershed stuff that I said in the email um, that I sent out earlier this week. Dr. Lehman uh, put this equation in his book. And I want you to look and digest this for just a minute. He says, elder leadership plus congregational rule equals discipleship. And I'm going to replace a couple things here. If, if we said where our church government is, elder government or elder rule plus, uh, plus congregational involvement, th that doesn't equal discipleship. And I think we're seeing that proved out, unfortunately. Does that mean we've not been discipling folks? No. I just think it's been a, a hard churn because the equation's not, quote, quote absolutely correct, um, that, that we struggled. And, and let me say this very particularly. When, when we as members together rule rightly, and elder leadership is leading rightly, guess who really is getting the joy of doing the work of the ministry? Guess who's really getting to be involved in each other's discipleship process? Guess who's getting to be involved like Kenny was and church members were this week in the lives of lost? It's the membership. And I think that's where, as I'm looking at this as a very practical thing, I feel like so many times what our paperwork and our, our documents say, and then how we tend to lean into the practice, even though we're intention at times, rightly so intention, I think we default to the wrong thing of elder rule. And that's why I would suggest that we need to really rethink how we're rightly communicating these things, how we're rightly more than just communicating them, how we're understanding them biblically so we flesh them out in communication and then we flesh them out in practice. Does, does that make sense? I, I'm going to be really blunt and bold for, for one last minute about myself. A lot of people have been, um, I'm going to put this word, take it loosely, okay, critical of me over the years. And, and I understand. Number one, I'll tell people, I know I can be a jerk, okay? I'm a Warren. I, I know my family history. I know what I was like with my brothers. I'm just glad that Jesus is my Savior, because if you think I'm a jerk now, imagine what it would be like if Christ wasn't in control and the Holy Spirit won conviction. And just go, oh man, I, I get it, okay? But, but in that, my tendency is also this, to work very hard to be a person of integrity at the responsibilities that God has placed before me. And I don't think I'll ever, ever apologize for that. That's, that's my own walk with Him in integrity. But, but part of this has been my struggle because every buck stops at some level with the elders and then me on staff. I've been very, very intentional to make sure that I do everything I have to do that's on my plate. That's my responsibility. 
And sometimes I think that's come across as I'm controlling, I'm, I'm uh, a jerk, all I do is get busy, those kind of things. But, but part of it is because of, of how we're wired in church polity. It's mine. It's the elders, but it's mine. And, and, and I'm working through that. And I've said over the last course of the last couple of years, no. How many times, and some of you, I wish there were others here, but I would say, no, I trust you. I don't want that. I don't need that. Just go and do. Greg, you know that as, in deacon ministry. I've just said, Amy, you know that in VPS. I'm just like, no, I don't want that. I don't need that. I'm trying. So the, the Lord's been doing a work in me prior to the ecclesiology stuff, but it's brought great clarity through the learning of this biblically that I think we're out of line and we need to fix this. So, I want to give you a couple nutshell thoughts with that in mind to leave you and leave you with these practical follow-ups, okay? First of all, I would suggest that the Bible teaches the most important and valuable role in the church is what? It's membership. It's membership. The most valuable and, and important role in the church is its membership. And can I tell you real quickly why I think that? Because God's Word said it according to these texts, obviously, okay? When I'm looking at Matthew 16, 18, that you and I as members hold the keys of the kingdom. And if you and I would get discipleship right, guess who the next leaders in the church are? Guess where they're birthed out of? They're birthed out of us as members. They're not just birthed from the leaders. That's why membership is so essential. Because when that brother needs to be corrected, or that brother or sister needs to be encouraged, who does it? It's not just the elders. It's the body doing it because the members are being the members and exercising the keys of the kingdom well, emphasizing the confession and the confessors, who God is making us in to be. Does that make sense? So that is one of the most important roles, the most important role in the church. But, but that also means this. If we don't have it right, we're acting wrongly. Can't help it, right? How we think is going to be a determining factor to how we act, how we operate. So, so if this is right, we may need some change down the road. That's why this message is kind of a table-it message. It, it is designed to say, if this is right, I need, and I say I, because this is personal to me, but I think we as elders and you as members, we all need to go home and we need to search our hearts and we need to do two things in that searching of our hearts. One, we need to pray. Is what, the, is what was presented this morning accurate and biblical? If it is, then we need to come back and we need to say, yes, we're affirming that. We're affirming that. And we're expecting some change to come as a result of that. And, and if that is also the case, it means this. We need to be not just praying about the polity and form of that in its paradigm. We need to also be praying about how we engage differently in ministry from here forward. Because we could get it all right, but if we do it wrong, which I think we've been doing that kind of uh, as it is, because we haven't had it right, we've been in tension. Does that make sense? So, so we've, we've been going, this doesn't quite feel right. Even though we understand it just doesn't quite feel right. Let's get it right, and then let's make it feel right after that too in practice. Let's get those things lined up, which means this. Pray about where you're going to be changing in your ministry involvement. Because it will make, it, it's going to make us think differently about what it means to be leadership. Uh, well, let me get back to this. I want to make sure I get the, the, the elder leadership, okay, in council plus membership rule so that discipleship is more effective. Does that, does that make sense? Because it won't just be the elders pulling this together. It will be us as a church body doing this together. So, any thoughts, questions? I don't I usually do that at the end of the message. Yeah, Gina, yeah. Why, why am I not surprised? Gina says she has a question, all you Facebook people. Okay, so definition of the keys of the kingdom. This, this is as simply as I can make it because I think it's also very, like, multifaceted. Um, but it's determining the who and the what of the gospel. So the confession and the confessor. And, and with that, 
It's not just about church discipline because church discipline is a one, one aspect of the key. It would be like locking it, okay? But the, the keys of the kingdom are about binding and loosing. So I, I don't want to get too far in, in the, the metaphor, I think, that Jesus uses. But let's say we are a church binding together, locking in together. We're in membership. We're going, they confess the same things. They practice the same things. They agree doctrinally with us. We're bound. We, we're, we're linked well in membership. But when someone does the wrong things and they continue in sin and they don't respond, we're loosening them to the Spirit to do a different work because we've tried in, in our efforts to walk through Matthew 18 principles of, of guarding them in membership. So if they are not confessing the right doctrine and, and saying sin is sin, and they're not repenting, and they've not done that with two or three witnesses, and they've not done that according to the church, we say to, the, to them that they are no longer in agreement, bound in membership with us. They've, we're turning them over to the Lord for His work that only He can do. Because they've, they've denied our responsibility and membership anymore. Does that make sense and help clarify? Okay. Does that confuse anybody else more? It's hard. I mean, I'll be honest. It's hard to kind of wrap your mind around some of that. But again, I go back to this. That is a responsibility and authority that the church possesses. We've got to start right there. That's ground, foundational stuff. And again, I want to say this, no elders in that. Now, is elders right? Yes. But in a right relationship, right paradigm, it's got to be there. And ironically, eldership comes later after churches are planned. We see that. Are they necessary? Yes. Okay? So I hope that's clear in a really tight nutshell. It's hard. That's why, again... You may need to pray about this, this uh, a week or two. We're not saying coming back in a, uh, you know, next week and we're going to have all this stuff laid out. We will be in lengthy conversation about this. And I would also encourage you to do this. Because I wish you'd see my mock-up right now of our Constitution, Bylaws, and Co Covenant. It is red and green and orange and blue and highlighted and marked up. And, and it's just because I think we're, we're in a place that we need to reconsider these things. Does that make us bad or wrong as a church? No. No. I think it makes us healthy because we're willing to hold up the mirror and evaluate. Okay? Good night. We're a young church. You guys remember that. We're not even 25 years yet. Okay, that's young. I mean, if, it's, if we were just talking about a 25-year-old man, Sherilyn, what we say on, in, in counseling terms, the brain's not even fully developed. Okay? Relax. We're not even 25 yet. We've got some years to get there. Okay? Is that fair enough? Messy mind of Matt. Y'all let me do this. Any other questions? So can I give you the two things again really carefully? Pray. Pray that the Lord make this clear, abundantly clear on who we need to be. Pray for your response to these things, both theologically and especially practically. Okay? I know it's hard. If you have more questions, fine. Steve or myself, I think you can even talk to Dan or, or Jeff who are here today about these things, okay? Let, let me pray for us, and y'all have a great Sunday afternoon. Um, I want to especially say this in closing. We've got some guests with us. Thank y'all for visiting with us and, and hearing hard stuff in a church that you've come to, to like find out what's going on. I hope it's encouraging to say, hey, they're, they're trying to get this right, biblically, too. Um, I appreciate you hanging in through this to hear the, the whole context um, and we hope that you'll be blessed as you, you leave the, the grove today. So have a, let's have a wonderful Sunday afternoon. Perry, no reprise. We're so far over. Thanks, man. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, first, I just want to pray this. Thank you for Jesus. Lord, as we worship this morning, I could not help but be reminded of the great grace that, that was afforded to us in your perfect plan as you sent Christ to, to pay the penalty for sin to take on my guilt and my shame and to bring me into a local church. Because, Lord, in doing that, not only am I secure personally, but I'm in, engaged in, in your body in which the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It's beautiful. 
Your body is precious. I thank you that you are the head and you've instructed us perfectly. Lord, I know in our uh, fallibility, our weaknesses, we don't always get it right. But I thank you that your spirit continues to guide us, to bring clarity to the word and to bring men and women into our lives, to sharpen us with our understanding and interpretation of those things. And Lord, I thank you that it is the final authority. And I pray that we would live that out well as a church. Because if we do that, Lord, every other little bit of word or understanding we place on paper to help just solidify the the extent of Scripture will be sound even when we have to tweak it. We know that you're not finished with us, that you're sanctifying us, that you're purifying us, that you're continually molding and making us into the image of Christ. And we thank you for that. So, Father, today I pray that you'd bless everybody that was here today, those that were on Facebook joining us. I pray that we would follow up, that we would pray carefully about these things, Lord, both the the understanding of these truths and then the implications and the implementation of those. So, Father, we love you. We pray that this body would continue to to thrive and and especially in new ways as we uh, live together in transparency and openness and honesty, sharpening one one another as the, the members you have called us to be, holding the keys of the kingdom carefully. In Jesus' name, amen. Y'all have a wonderful Sunday afternoon. Um, be blessed, and we look forward to seeing you students back on Wednesday night, women at women's ministry on Wednesday night, and everybody else in grow groups throughout the week.